0: And uh, they did a lot of ministry together this past year in Atlanta. Uh, his name is Sunho, um, and uh, is, it, is that right? Am I getting right? Okay, Sunho Park. Okay, and, and uh, he's here just just visiting. Um, he's worked with YWAM, I believe. Uh, been around uh, for a while. Been saved about seven years. So I just met him. Uh, seven years. Uh, he got saved while doing his master's program. Got delivered from a lot of things. He might share about that. Uh, I'm not sure, uh, but God's been doing a great work in him. And uh, Andy's really encouraged us to to let him speak. So we're excited. Uh, So everyone, listen up. Take out your notebooks. And, uh, yeah. Appreciate the intro. Man, I'm so encouraged by you guys. Man, to see. I I felt like I was in the midst of, like, Gideon's army. You know, like a small army of, like, 300, you know, but they were just, like, Oh, man. You know, we live in one of the most exciting times in history. And um, right now, you know, if you look in uh, Acts chapter uh, 16, where it talks about the Macedonian call and how um, Paul gets stopped by the Holy Spirit. You know, he hits on the brakes and he says, head west towards Macedonia. And then we've seen the gospel progressing right around this way and especially exploding in Asia these days, China, Korea, Indonesia, all these different places. And and we're kind of like on the final leg of the Great Commission. You know, a lot of people are saying we're going to finish in the next 10 to 20 years. Um, and I'm really inspired because right, t- right now, this nation is very strategic. And I saw, uh, you know, a, a 3 chord strand, one of North Koreans, South Koreans, Korean diasporated people, and foreigners here to Korea go as this missions wave, you know, into the Middle East. And you guys are one of those chords. And I feel like you're carrying something very special that God has given. You know what I mean? Like... So with that revelation, of course, comes responsibility. But I'm really encouraged to be here. Like, <laughs> really encouraged. Yeah, I, mean, I was like, man, let's just pray all night. Let's go for it. Let's press in for the presence. But, um, yeah, so it's so good to be here. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, this is my wife, Yuri, if you can stand up. My beautiful <laughs> wife. <clears throat> We've been married for about two and a half years, and we got a baby in the oven. First one. So... I expect everyone here to pray for her before we leave. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, and so uh, we're really excited. We actually got our first ultrasound. And I think that's when the reality hit me that life is growing inside of my wife. Like, I saw this, like, baby, like, swimming in there. And, you know, you are a funny story. So we go there, and they're taking pictures of these ultrasounds, these three pictures. And um, the first one, the baby's, it looks like uh, the baby's preaching in a microphone. And then the second picture, the baby's like this. And then the third prayer, the baby's like oh, it's like crying out. And the lady at, at the uh, OBGYN, she's like, what do you guys do for a living? <laughs> I was like, yes, come on. <laughs> like, what do you guys do for a living? <laughs> oh, that's good. I was like so proud. You know, my child's not even <laughs> born yet. I was so proud. <laughs> yeah. um, tonight, uh, more than anything, I just want to share my heart, you know, um, more than a message, more than a word. Uh, just a, a kind of a truth that I've been munching on myself, you know? Because I vowed to the Lord that no longer I would preach from just like a, a message that I would put together with a different, different points. But it would be something that I actually fed on myself. Something that actually became a part of me, right? Like Jesus, when he became the word. The word was so tightly wrapped up into his human frame, right? He became the word. And in the same way, I was like, I only want to share what has become a part of me. What I've pressed into prayer for, what I've asked the Lord for for more of, and revelation in, when I've actually plunged in and tried to dig and plumb that scripture a little bit longer. So, so I just more more than a message, I just want to share my heart. That's okay. Um, yeah, let me pray for us, Father. We thank you for your presence. Man, it's so sweet. <laughs> you guys are awesome. <laughs> Father, we thank you. Your presence is so sweet. And Lord, we just acknowledge you. We ask that you would be adored, admired, glorified, exalted, praised, Jesus, as we are here engaging your truth and your word and who you are together, Lord. Father, we ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened so that we would be able to know you better. Open our hearts, Father, to more levels of your love in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Who? <laughs> Man, I'm. I like you. I like you because you like me. <laughs> now, um, so a couple months ago, I had a series of crazy encounters and dreams one night. I'm not one to really dream. Like, I just get rocked very simply just praying, reading the Word. But there was such a dramatic series of encounters that I had from the Lord. And so I just wanted to share one of those with you. My wife and I, we, we were, we've worked with YWAM for about seven years. And now we're working with an organization called The Call to All. It's a, it's a, it's a coming. So I'm working with the president, Mark Anderson. It's a coming together of all these different missions organizations. Campus Crusade for Christ, YWAM, IHOP, Jesus Film. They're saying 56% of the body of Christ globally has said, let's do this together. And I was like, yes, Lord, because this is John 17, right before Jesus goes to the cross. He's like, man, I want the body to be one. Like, Father, like you and I are one. I really desire this. And you can see that the time that we're living in is actually happening. And I was like, wow, we're working together. This is great. It took 2,000 years, but we're getting there. We're getting there. So it's a good place to start. And, um, and so we're in Kona at this time. And, um, in the middle of the night where, you know, my wife and I are sleeping, Yuri and I are sleeping and I get up like this and I say, God, bring the breakthrough, bring the breakthrough. And she wakes up. She's like, Oh my God. And I didn't even know I did it. And then I went back to bed <laughs> and, and she's like, she's like, do you know what you just said? I was like, what, what just happened? Like I, it was, it was crazy. Right. And so I want to, I want to tell you one of those dreams. The first one, it was myself and this man, uh, a good friend of mine named Christoph. He's a half Haitian brother of mine. And, um, I I like you. (laughs) I got this this fun. And um, me and and my boy Christoph, we're we're sprinting up Mount Rushmore. Does everyone know what Mount Rushmore is? It's a mountain in uh, one of the Dakotas in the U.S. with four faces of the presidents on it. So we're rushing up this mountain. We're climbing it. It's strenuous. It's rigorous. It's tough. But yet, the view is glorious when we get to the top. And when we get to the top, not only is the view glorious, there's this bag of like half-eaten Wendy's, right, like this takeout bag. You're like, Where is, how did this end up here? And I ended up in the dream picking this bag up and chucking it off the end of the mountain. And then as I chuck it off the end of the mountain, like I get convicted, you know, and I'm like, oh, I should go pick that up. And I'm like, dang, that's a long way down. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the feeling specifically in my dream. I'm like, we just got here. <laughs> but, but as I went down and started climbing, there was all these little trails of garbage all over the side, so I started picking it up. And so when I woke up the next morning, I started to ask the Lord. I was like, what the heck does this mean? You know, what the heck does this mean? And immediately the Lord started to speak. He's like, son, oh, there's three layers of the mountain. I was like, okay. He's like, the bottom of the layer of the mountain is um, the Israelites when they were with Moses. You know, they say, okay, Moses, you go to the top of the mountain. We're going to chill down here. Please tell us what the Lord says so we can be blessed. But I don't want to put in the work. You know what I mean? And so that was the first layer of the mountain. The second layer of the mountain was mediocrity. Actually, mediocre actually means middle of the mountain, if you look in its original language. And then the top of the mountain was the place of sacrifice where where Abraham took Isaac. He took his son, the very promise of the Lord. He took, he sacrificed his son, which is his very family. is a good thing. This is the place where he gave it all up, fully abandoned for whatever God wanted to do. I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty profound. And then he's like, I'm not done. The mountain, yeah, I know. <laughs> he's like... The mountain you're climbing is the mountain of my face. It's Mount Rushmore, right? I was like, oh, that's profound. If you look throughout the scriptures, number six, it talks about the face of the Lord, you know, that shines upon us. It's the favor of his face that continues to shine upon us. It also represents intimacy with the Lord. And so God also led me to Exodus chapter 25. In the, in the tabernacle of Moses, in the holy place, there was a, a table there like this. And on that table, there was a piece of bread. They called it the bread of his presence, Or the bread of his face. It represented intimacy because it sat at a table. And when you sit at a table with a friend, it's communion. It's fellowship. It's closeness. You know, you're breaking bread together. There's something very very human and close about it. About the interaction and exchanges that you have at that table. And he's like, it's the bread of my face. But on top of the bread of his face is sprinkled frankincense. And frankincense in the Old Testament represented suffering. There's a bit of suffering sprinkled there. But don't worry, it's the most beautiful place you could ever engage into. I was like, wow, God, that's profound. It's the, the mountain of your face. And he goes, it's not, yet, it's not over yet. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I'm like trying to jot all this stuff down. And he's like, the four faces represent the four living creatures in Revelations chapter 4. Ooh. I was like, oh, Thomas Jefferson is a seraphim. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and like, and and if you, if you guys, we're going to go into Revelations 4 and 5, because this is what I want to talk about the establishing of the throne of, of, of God. And he said, these four um, four living creatures, it's like the, the four presidents on the mountain. And if you know the four seraphim, seraphim actually means in its original language, burning one. It actually means burning one. And all they do is worship the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. and then I, And then he goes... But then so as, I, as I'm like processing, writing all this down, I'm like, what is this mysterious like Wendy's bag, right? So this is like this deep, profound dream full of revelation, and there's like this half bag of Wendy's like in it. I'm like, what is this, Lord? And God starts to speak. He's like, remember back in the day when, when you used to hustle, make $5,000 a week selling drugs and doing all these different things? You would smoke a ton of weed in your car, and then you would go eat fast food, and then you would eat the fast food, and you would throw it out the window and litter, Right? And he's like, there's on the top of the mountain as you travel with me, there's still places of your old thinking that I'm going to start to reveal to you. And as I start to reveal that to you, and then you, I th- you throw it off the end of the mountain and you intentionally go after it, it's going to take you down little trails of garbage in your heart that I'm going to start to deal with. There's going to be a circumcision of the heart that comes through the Spirit of God. And I was like, Whoo! I was like, And then I was like, man, Lord, okay, okay. And he's like, Psalm 24. I'm like, Psalm 24, look it up. And it says, who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Those with the clean hands, those with the pure heart, who do not give themselves to idols and who do not swear by anything that's false. He's like, who will climb the mountain of my face? Who will put it all aside? Who will say, God, I I don't care the cost. I will go up the mountain of your face, whatever it takes, to be in the center of your presence, to enter into the throne room of God, whatever it takes. I I want to pay the price, Jesus. Just let me know. And he goes, that's not, also the mountain is this. It's the mountain, it's it's, it's the mountain of Calvary. He's like, you got you know, Jesus walked to Calvary barefoot. Barefoot in the scriptures, all it represents is deep surrender. It meant the bondservant, right? The slave. Those who were barefoot. And they walk up the mountain. Jesus walked barefoot to Calvary. But, you know, we say, it says in Hebrews 12 that for the joy set before him, he carried the cross. And although we're called to climb the mountain that costs us everything, we'll do it like Christ did with the great joy in our heart because worthy is the lamb that was slain and may the lamb that was slain receive the worthy reward for his suffering if you have your bible let's go to revelation chapter 4 revelation chapter 4 i'm going to read the whole thing i hope you guys like the bible <laughs> your pastor says i hope so too all right revelations four and five it says after this i looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. Even under his wings, day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. See, the revelation that I've been munching on through this dream is that As we climb the mountain of God's face, it's it's really us entering into the throne room. We need to have a greater revelation of the understanding of the throne room of God. And then from that place, we'll want to go forth, just as John Michael prayed, to establish the throne of God. And God's throne is established on righteousness and justice. And we need to go forth to establish this throne. Amen? We need to go forth to establish the throne, but until we have a revelation of the beauty of the throne, until we have a revelation of the beauty of God that comes through constant fellowship, communion, that has the 24/7 house of prayer in our heart burning constantly, until we enter into that place of understanding the throne room, then we will then we will be motivated in that place of his presence to bring forth the throne. <laughs> I want to tell you about my friend. Her name is, actually, I probably can't tell her name. But um, she's the first missionary out of Tajikistan, and, which, is a, which is a predominantly Muslim nation at the time. When she was there, there was civil war, famine. So they would shoot each other, kill each other for a piece of bread. And so her brother comes to her one day, you know, this Muslim family. He goes, you need to get trained. He's like, you need, you need to have some type of physical, you know, like fighting training because you don't want really to know who might run up on you. You know what I mean? And so she's like, okay, where should I go? He's like, there's a Taekwondo, do, like, uh, a Taekwondo, like, school. I was like, in Tajikistan while she was telling me the story. She's like, "There, there's a Taekwondo school by this Korean guy who came. You should go there and, and learn from him. And she's like, okay, she goes there, and he actually ends up as a missionary. You know, his front is a, actually a Taekwondo school. And so she, make a long story short, she gets radically saved. Her family's not saved, but she gets saved. She starts going to this underground church, and as she continues to go, her faith deepens, right? And one day she's at her church and this bomb goes off. She, yeah, it's, it's this crazy story. This bomb goes off. It was all over the news. She says in the midst of that bomb, many of her friends die. She remembers waking up, looking around, seeing her friends' limbs and body parts all over the place. She remembers touching the top of her head and actually feeling her brains, right? And the next thing she realizes, she dies. And then she, the Lord takes her up to heaven. See, I'm going to talk about Revelations 4. The Lord takes her up to heaven. And as he's there, he's standing, she's standing there before his throne. And you know, of course, as she tells the story, everyone asks this questions: What does it look like? What does it look like? See, in Revelations 4, it says the appearance of him was like jasper and carnelian. Jasper was like a big diamond. That's pretty much what it is. How many of you have seen a diamond in its full radiance and glory? When the sun hits it perfectly, bam, it's just brilliant, bright, radiant. And Carnelian was a giant ruby, a burning passion, a fire, one of an intense heart and emotion. She said when she stood before the throne room of Jesus, she felt so warm, overwhelmed by his glory and his brilliance, but yet felt so unholy at the same time from this fire and this passion that burned. She didn't know how to, she didn't know how to feel. Intense. You know, how many of us have had some of those anointed times of worship and we know we're in the throne room of God? And you feel there's all this crazy stuff going on inside you. Feel the glory and the weightiness of the presence of the Lord. Yet you feel so unholy in front of Him. This is this is the very glory of God, the manifest presence. But then He "But then, if you continue to look in Revelations in chapter in verse three, it says there was a rainbow of emerald green that encircled the throne. What is the rainbow in the Scripture? It's God's promise of mercy. So In the midst of his glory and his brilliance and his fire and his passion, there is an emerald rainbow that surrounds the throne, one of the tender mercies of the Father. Beautiful, isn't it? Imagine. In worship, sometimes I just imagine I'm before the Lord and his tender mercies. Man. But it gets even better. On his throne, there's 24 other thrones that surround it. And this is beautiful because these 24 thrones is actually the highest level of human government in the throne room. They're people, right? And they have these gold crowns. This speaks of God's character, how he loves to partner with people. It's interesting that he would put 24 human beings in the throne room of God, right? He loves to partner with us. And then you have the four seraphim, you know, who are the highest angelic government as well, who are sitting in the throne room. Seraphim means burning ones. And imagine, in the glory of God, they just burst into spontaneous worship night and day. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Have you ever been with someone when their worship's so anointed and you just look at them? Uh, what, what's your name? Yeah, yeah. Rachel, I, when we were singing, I looked at you and while you were weeping and something ignited in me. And this is what I imagine happening in the throne room. The four seraphim worshiping, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The 24 elders in the midst of the anointing are so overwhelmed. They, can't, they don't know what to do except take their crowns and throw it at the feet of Jesus. Lay prostrate before him and says, praise and glory, honor and power are for your name. Whew. Imagine this setting, the throne room of God. The throne room of God. Every the highest level of angelic government, the highest level of human government, before the throne, just worshiping in response to just who He is. Just who He is. You know the beautiful thing about prayer is that there's so many different kinds of prayer: supplication, petition, intercession. But my favorite kind of prayer is just adoration, adoring the Lord. Because I'm thinking, if if we're supposed to pray like Jesus prayed, um, you know, as Earth as it is in heaven, what is heaven's primary focus? More than no sickness, more than no disease, more than no more sorrows. These things are great. I'm, I, I tend for these things. We're believing for revival in the globe. But no, the primary function of all of us in heaven is just to adore the Lord. In His glory and His brilliance. You know what I mean? To be overwhelmed. So even prayer is a great mechanism, of course, to put in prayer, petition, intercession. But really, in the end, when, you, when we get to heaven and we strip all those things away, when we stand there before the throne room of God, it will be us and him looking at him in the face. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. But then it gets even more interesting in Revelations chapter 5. All right, let's read it. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides. And sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice. Who is worthy to break open the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw the Lamb looking as it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He came and he looked at the scroll and from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, or he took the scroll and from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one at a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne, and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea, and all that is in them, singing to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, to be be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. This is interesting. So we look at the throne room of God and the holiness of the Lord. But then from Revelations 4 to 5, there's a shift that takes place. See, Jesus walks into the throne room as a man. This is very interesting because he walks into the throne room as a man. See, it's one thing for God to exalt God, right? God, Holy Spirit, Jesus in the beginning of beginning of creation. But then after Jesus came and put on his human frame and decided, you know, he's talking to the father for a while. He's like, okay, father's like, oh, sure, you sure you want to do this? You sure you want to put it on? Because, you know, you can't go back. He's like, yes. Puts it on. We all know he dies, resurrects, goes into heaven as a man. And he walks into the throne room of God and takes the scroll, which is the title deed of the earth. This makes sense. So so you got to look back at Genesis one and two and three. Right. So we all know that the the God gave dominion to man. Right. And then we know that man gave dominion to Satan. Right. That's why in Luke chapter four, when when Satan's tempting Jesus, he says to him, he's like, hey, I can give you these kingdoms. how could Satan even offer these kingdoms if they weren't his to give temporarily? That's why, see, and we're like, well, God, how come you don't just intervene? You know, all these dominion things, because God is a God of integrity. When he said, I'm giving you dominion over the earth to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill it up. He's like, he's not going to take back what he said, because it goes against the character of who he is. And so, and so the thing is, he's like, you know what I got to do? Genesis chapter three, from the seed of a woman, I'm going to raise up a man and he's going to come and crush the head of Satan. To take back the title deed of the earth. And this is what happens in Revelations 4 and 5. In the glory of the throne room, he walks into the throne room. Revelations 5, he says, take, give me that. And all of a sudden they sing, they, they sing a new song. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. You're trustworthy. You've given, you've been given all honor and power and glory and these things and you exercise it with the full ability that you did on earth. We trust you and your leadership. You know that it says in Haggai chapter 1 that the things are gonna, how many of you know that there's shakings all over the earth? That something very significant is happening. And in the shakings, in Haggai chapter 1, it says the, the nations of the earth will be shaken so the desired of the nations will be revealed. He's coming back. <laughs> He's coming back. And he wants to establish his throne on this earth. And justice and righteousness will flow from his throne room. And he will be holy and brilliant and glorious. And he will be with tender mercies that flow from his heart. He's coming back. We need a revelation of the throne room of God. Because in that revelation, then we will say, okay, God, continue the shaking. Continue these things so that your, your throne will be established wherever we go. You know, these are big lofty concepts. But then ask the Lord, God, where is it can I start, start establishing your throne? Which is in, in the kingdom, right? Because the kingdom of God revolves around the throne of God, which revolves around the person of Jesus. powered through the energy of the Spirit of God. Where is it that you need to establish a throne room? Where is it that I need to establish a throne room? Not only in my own heart, but in in the spheres of influence that I'm in. This church, you guys have a very specific and unique call before the Lord. I was telling Andy this. I feel like God's about to send an apostolic explosion to your church. It's not going to be just 1 plus 1 equals 2. You're planting a church here, planting a church there. It's about to be like 10 times 10 equals 100. There's about to be an exponential release of the apostolic God's establishing a culture here already. You can sense it. One of intercession, one of intimacy, one of family. And in that place, as He's establishing this culture, there's a potency that's growing. Why? So in that potency, it can explode and continue on and multiply and go forth and start a move across the earth because God is passionate about His glory. He wants to be glorified. He wants to see His throne established. All that we receive and more is His, and He's given it to us so that we can establish His throne and that He can be exalted above all else. Above all else, let's go to John chapter 14. And I'm going to tell you how he wants to establish it. You guys, tracking? Are we okay? All right. John chapter 14, verse 1 through 7. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me and my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way. And the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do uh, not—you do know him and have seen him. We all know this passage because it's very famous. You are the way, the truth, and the life. I think I probably have like five of those bookmarks from different Christian bookstores. You know what I mean? Like, so we know the scripture, right? But actually, something deeper is happening here. Jesus is actually speaking of the bridegroom and the bride. That's why he says, I'm about to go home to my father's house. So you got to understand this. In the Jewish marriage tradition, there was uh, the father and the son would talk. They're like, we need to find you a bride. And be like, yeah, yeah. It was called the Shadukin. Sounds like something out of Street Fighter, right? I was like, are you sure that's it? When I was reading and researching, I was like, are you sure that's it? That's a Shadukin. That's like out of Street Fighter. But it is. That's what it's called. That's that's what it's called. (laughs) being serious. God has a good sense of humor, man. You know those like gems of truth that the Lord hides and then you like dig it up and you're like, oh, this is great. And I think it's one of those things that he just kind of hid for our pl- enjoyment and our entertainment pleasure. But, uh, okay, on a, side, on, a side, on a side note, on a side note, um, <laughs> what was I talking about? Okay, uh, <laughs> so he's talking about the bridegroom paradigm. We all know the bridegroom paradigm. We hear about IHOP all the time. But John chapter 14 is a very significant scripture. In John chapter 14, so there's this Shadukin, right, where the father and the son talk. They're like, we need to find you a beautiful bride, right? And then they find the bride. And what takes place is they find the bride. And then what they would do is they would go and pay a price for this bride, right? Like um, one time, my friend, they took a team to Egypt. And they had this one beautiful girl. She was blonde hair, blue eyes, tight, curly hair from Alaska. And this guy from Egypt comes to her. And he and comes to the team leader of, of the mission trip. And he goes... I'll give you 200,000 camels for her as the bridal price, right? And my friend's like, when he was telling me this story, he's like, 200,000 camels. I was like, where does he keep all those? <laughs> <laughs> I was, that was the first thought I had. I was like, what is, what is that? And, and, and so the, the amount that you were willing to give would speak of the value of the bride. So, of course, he valued her very much. But we know the Mohar in this instant where the Father and the Son beginning of creation are talking about His bride and the price that He's willing to pay would be His own self. The most important, most valuable, most precious thing, the life of the Son of Jesus Christ would be the very down payment for the bride. This is what Jesus is referring to, the Mohar. Do you know how much the Lord values you? Do you know how precious you are in His sight? Do you know when he calls you son or daughter, it's not just, oh, I'm a son or a daughter. I'm a son or a daughter. You're valued. You're precious. Why? Because your life costs something. It costs the very son of God. But it gets even better. So what would take place is the, the, the husband or the bridegroom would come. He would purchase the bride with the mohar. And then what would take place is actually the bridegroom would leave. It sounds kind of weird, right? They'll be legally married, but actually the bridegroom was, would leave. And there he would go back to his father's house and begin to prepare a room or multiple rooms for his bride. They're married, but they haven't actually entered their physical union. So the fullness of their marriage is consummated, you know, but yet they're legally married. So we all know that Jesus died. He rose again. He, Revelations 5 did come and took the title deed of the earth, went back. He's now preparing a room for us. But the interesting thing is, is that then he would send his friends, the friends of the bridegroom, the forerunners, the John the Baptist, and they would go into the village. People wouldn't know; they would have kind of a general idea when he was returning for his bride, but they wouldn't know. But they would come. The trumpet would blow, and they would carry these torches into into the village, and then, out of surprise, out of nowhere, they would come and scoop her up, and everyone would rejoice. Whew, he's coming back. But there's a gap of time before. He, he he bought us and then he left. And this is a really interesting thing. In John, in, in John chapter 14, we wonder why at the, towards the end of the scripture, he starts talking about the promised Holy Spirit. Because in the Jewish marriage culture, after the Mohar was paid for and they were legally married, and, the, and he would leave, before he would leave, the husband would leave, he would leave a dowry. And that dowry he would give to them. And that dowry would empower her Would provide for her, would take care of her, and would establish and strengthen her so that she would be ready for when her bridegroom came back. What is the dowry? The promised Holy Spirit. How do we establish a throne? While we're waiting for the full throne to be established, we press into the dowry. What's already ours? He's given it to us. We already have it. I want to know what Jesus left for me. That's why I'm pressing into the Holy Spirit. I really want to know. How many of you really want to know? It's the empowering. It's the outpour of His Spirit and His presence that He's giving to us. Man. He really loves us. A lot. He gave His Son and then He gave us His Son and then He gave us His Spirit. You know what I mean? See, God wants to establish His throne. Before anything else, He's very passionate about His glory. For His name to be made great and made famous. That's why He's given us incredible grace. That's why he's actually created the human frame to be the container of the very living God. This is the same spirit that rested over the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. This is the same spirit of God that rose Christ Jesus from the grave. This is the same spirit that empowered the tabernacle of David. This is the same spirit of the Lord. Many, many, say, many theologians say if, if Father is the giver of love and the Son is the affection of love, that the Holy Spirit is the energy of love that's in between. Woo! and that somehow he's allowed us to encounter this and to grow in it and to learn from it so that we would be filled to establish his throne. And I'm encouraged because I look at you guys and I know that God's going to do it. He has an incredible plan for this church. I see it all over Incredible plan. Do you believe that he has, that he has this plan for you? Or else He wouldn't have sent His Son to die on the cross for you. And He wouldn't have left you the most precious dowry ever, which is His Spirit. We need to understand who He is. And who the throne room of God is. I just want to start praying for us. Let's just all stand.